Hi, friends. This is Pastor Dan Jackson. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Jacobswell Church. My hope and prayer is that this message will be a blessing to you and lead you into worshiping and enjoying our great and gracious God. With that said, let me encourage you to use this message as a supplement to and not a replacement of a local church. Christ did not establish his church simply for us to consume messages, but so that we could be intimately invested in each other's lives as an authentic covenant community. Again, thank you for listening. And if you want more information about Jacobswell Church, please visit our website at www.jacobswellgb.org. Um, so Dan and I knew each other when we were in seminary, and I was 22, maybe, I can't remember how old I was, I was and um, they said, hey, we're in the hospital, Corbin's going to be born soon, and I was like, great, I was 22, so I just got in my car and went to the hospital, and uh, I knocked on the, I, I just pushed back, pushed past some of the nurses, and people were saying, hey, you can't go past that, and I just did, and then I knocked on the door where they were, and I knocked, 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 and then I got a, who is it? Little did I know, they were like in the throes of labor. And I, and, and, uh, I said, it's Stephen, Dan's friend. And like a, a chorus in unison, they all said, go away. <laughs> and then a few minutes later, Corbin was born. Um, so I, our friendship is basically built on uh, us yelling at each other. And um, thank you for all that you guys have done for us. We're going to be in uh, the book of 1 John in chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. And as you're coming there, I'll tell you another story about our world. One of the fun things in our context, people are coming from what they refer to as British Asian or what you might think of as an Indian background. And oftentimes people have to be in our church for years before they might come to faith. Um, It's very difficult for people from a Hindu background to get rid of the idols in their house and to move towards baptism. Those are two huge steps of what it means to follow Jesus. And we have one, one of our, uh, one of our uh, people that just came to faith, his sister came to faith when she was nine, and uh, he's been a part of our church for 20 years, and he's 73 years old, and he just got baptized this summer. And it was just like, this happens. It was so encouraging. And now he's, you know, he's just this kind of this budding evangelist. And so he'll, he'll go, we, we call it book tables, or just set up tables in different languages, have tracks and such, and give out free chai. And uh, people will come, and he was talking to this guy from Ethiopia who was kind of a nominal Muslim. And he's like, what are you doing with these Christians? He's an engineer background, and he, you know, he's a very, very, very smart guy. And he said, I'll tell you what. <clears throat> I'm 73 years old, and I've actually seen a lot of people die. I've seen people die without Jesus, and I've seen people die with Jesus. And let me tell you, the people that die with Jesus, they die better. And this Ethiopian guy was just sort of, it was kind of struck, struck him back. And today what we're going to talk about, not necessarily is death, but a life of love that might be worthy worthy of your life. Because not always, not always are we kind of talking about fun things and these big, big milestones for our little, our little tiny church plant in West London. Sometimes life is hard. Sometimes it's like pandemic, inflation, war in Ukraine, finances, family, brokenness, and it's like this circular failing. (laughs) 
don't know if you've ever felt like this, where it's like, the more I try, the more I am tired. And the more I'm having trouble seeing if there's any room, any progress, any help. Sometimes I sort of think, man, all those kids that just ran out, and maybe we even have these, some little ones in the back. It's like, wouldn't it just be nice to be a child just like, just for a day? Like somebody else finds food for you? Like somebody else puts you to bed at night? Like you don't have to set an alarm like just for a day? Wouldn't that, just give me a day. On our passage today in 1 John chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, it gives us a little bit of hope that today might just be that day. I read with me 1 John 5, 1 through 5. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. And by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has, been, that, <clears throat> that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would come and visit us, that you would encourage us, that you would remind us of the tune of the gospel. And for those who are here for the very first time, we pray they'd feel welcomed, like they're coming to a family event, a buffet where everything's free and that you are here with them. God, help us for those that are coming discouraged, that you might comfort us. And for those that are comfortable, we pray that you would disrupt them, that you would remind them of not only the good news, but of the cost of following you. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. Uh, We've been together as men for the last last couple of days, and we've been walking through this series in 1 John. We've talked about love's competitor in 1 John 2, love's poison of sin in, in 1 John 3, love's power in the spirit in 1 John 4, and today we're going to be talking about love's posture in 1 John 5. And the way we'll break it up is just because my, my, my head thinks in questions always. Number one, why would I want to be a child of God? And number two, how are God's commands not burdensome? And number three, how do I overcome the world? Why would I want to be a child of God? How are God's commands not burdensome? And how do I overcome the world? In verse one it says, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. This is sort of a strange thing. I don't know if you've ever been a part of a club that when you join the club, you become a child. This is, over and over in the Bible, it says little children, or you become a child, or John is kind of this older disciple, this is towards the end of his life, if you've ever been around an old man, he said, come here son, come here my little daughter, this affectionate term, and Jesus says that actually to follow Jesus, you are born anew. Now in my context, we have almost only Hindus in our neighborhood, 
And so they're very interested in reincarnation. Or maybe you may even thought of this, that there's a focus on what happens after life. So you'll hear about this in Islam, you'll hear about this in Christianity, and you'll hear about this in Hinduism. But following Jesus is very different because it's not waiting on this reward in the end, though there is a reward. Actually, in following Jesus, what this text is saying is that you have present-day reincarnation. You are reincarnated now into a child. You become a snotty little irresponsible, complainy child. That's what it means. That's what it means to come to God, to be born anew in him. You are a child. And I don't know if you, I didn't have rich parents growing up, but I don't know if you've ever been around kids with rich parents. It's like they get the juice that's actually juice, you know? Right? Have you been around, have you been around families that have real juice and not just like a color? Because if you have rich parents, those little kids are rich. If you have parents with high status, those little kids have high status. If you have friends where both the parents are in the home, where both of them are at home, it's like, you've got two people you talk to on a regular basis? There's something about the wealth and the prestige of the parents that is automatically and inherently going to be going to the child. And this is what you get in God. Someone's asked one time, who would ever get to, get to wake up a king in the middle of the night to ask for a cup of water? Not generals, not lawn keepers. No one in the king gets to except the son, except the daughter. They can wake up the king in the middle of the night and expect a glass of water because as a child of God, you've got benefits You've got benefits. There was a, there's a story of, of Alexander the Great, who you know, was very wealthy, very, uh, conquered lots of kingdoms, and in his vast kingdom, there was a tiny little underling, not one of his big gen- generals or advisors, that came to him. You know, Even him coming to him was probably a little controversial because he was so far below. And he said, you know what? My daughter's getting wedding. I'm sorry, my daughter's getting wedding. My daughter is getting married and having a wedding And he asked for some absurd amount of money. You can sort of just imagine the generals and the advisors snickering to themselves. And Alexander, without a hiccup, said, I'll do it. Immediately said, yes. And all the generals and advisors said, what are you doing giving this little peon all of this money? And he said, that man paid me a compliment because he said implicitly, Not only are you very wealthy, but you are very generous. And this is how we must come to God. As if he is very wealthy and very generous. And he is ready to listen to his child. Because if we can absorb that, if we can bring that down into our very souls, that your father in heaven, that your dad is ready for you to come to ask for things that are absolutely absurd. Because if you walk around ingesting these promises of God that your life is going to work out exactly what you always long for in eternity, that your 401k might get you to 85, but the kingdom of God will get you to 12 trillion. 
that that is better news, that you actually start acting a little bit like you've got something. And so you start to risk, right? Listen, if I've got nothing to lose and I've got nothing to prove, I can risk all day. And you can fail all day because you're a child of the king. Everything is going to work out how you long for and you can ask for anything. It's good. The reason why it's good news, the reason why it's good news that you have a chance to be a child of God is because being a snotty-nosed child to the king is the good life. It is the good life that even right now in this present-day reincarnation, you can begin to live like this first fruit of what the kingdom of God will be in the new heavens and the new earth. In John 1, 12 through 13, it says, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. He gave the right to become children of God. Is that how you think of yourself? That I'm a son or I'm a daughter of the king with all its benefits. Children not born of natural descent nor of human decision or, or of a husband's will, but born of God. In my context, they talk a lot about karma, and I feel like it's starting to get bigger here as well. So karma is this idea that everything you do as you sort of grow in good deeds, eventually some good things will come to you. Or in kind of theological terms, we call it uh, salvation by works. Because in a Hindu mindset, the world is completely just. Everything you get, you completely deserve. Everything you get, you completely deserve. But following Jesus is totally different. You can be this snot-nosed little kid, and you can come to Jesus with all your problems and all your, all your bad karma, and you know what he says? You give me that bad karma. You go ahead and give it to me. I'll take the blame, and I'll give you all of my good karma. And God will treat you as if you had my record of karma for the rest of your life. Man, being a child of God, that's a good life. And this is what he offers you today. This is what he offers you today. But the tough thing is, with any, with any uh, good offer, there always is a catch, right? There's always a catch. Because in verse 1, it says, Everyone who believes Jesus Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of God. Or another translator says that everyone who loves the parent loves the child. Everyone who loves your father as a parent has to love the other snot-loves little kids that are running around. Because you, you don't just get this privatized health care just for you, right? You don't just get all these benefits just for you because faith and love are two sides of the same coin. But we do this weird thing where well, we'll read theology books and, and we'll, we'll, we'll read all this sort of up-and-coming new thing about Christian thought, and we are scoundrel neighbors, that must not be, friends. That must not be. Faith and love are two sides of the same coin. You know, it's funny that there's actually a lot of uh, business, um, in the, sort of in the business world, one of the things that's being pushed right now is a Japanese idea of shoshin, of shoshin. It's this idea of bringing a beginner's mind to any meeting. So you're curious, 
You're always a beginner. You're always ready to learn, even from someone that's, that's, that's younger than you, this Shoshin, this beginner's mind. And they're trying to train people. Keep a beginner's mind. Keep a beginner's mind. Keep a beginner's mind. And what Jesus said is, you're a child. <laughs> that's actually who you are. And we want to keep that just between us and Jesus. We want to just enjoy his dump truck of blessings just on us. And to give them away, it's like, well, I'm busy. There's a, there's a professor in the University of California, Berkeley, by the name of Uri Treisman, who's a mathematician. And one of the things that he was realizing is that he had a lot of, <clears throat> all of his Asian students in his class, and his math classes were doing really well. And his black students were not doing as well. And so he goes to his other departments like, i got to help my black students, this is sort of strange, and they give us all these psychological answers, sociological answers, and he's like, ah, this is rubbish. Oh, that's, there's a British term for it, this is rubbish. He's like, I'll tell you what, I'm a mathematician, I'm going to do the stats. And so he starts sitting down and doing some, some research on how his students are working. And one of the things he finds out is actually the black students are working significantly harder than the Asian students. And he's like, okay, well then, then what? And so he sits down and he's like, not just how much you study, but what you study and how you study. And so they sit down with, with the black students and says, well, how do you study? And they say, well, I'll sit down by myself and I just get to work. And he went over to the Asian student and said, well, how do you study? And they said, oh, we always study in groups. And he said, oh, you always study in groups? New rule. Everyone in my class has to study in groups. And within a, within a semester or two, they were all on the same level. Friends, Jesus is saying, you got to work in groups. You got to work in groups. Because, you know, snotty little kids... If they're the, they the only one that's receiving all the love and the care and they're not pushed out to other snotty kids, they generally don't do so hot. But you are called to love and to serve those around you. It's not a one-player game. We must not only be children of God and accept the benefits but give them away. But you might be thinking, that sounds like a burden. <laughs> You ever thought about reading the Bible and you're like, man, there's a lot of, I feel burden coming into this. Now, how can God, number two, how can God's commands not be burdensome? Number two, or verse two, it says, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. And my thought is, uh, kind of, kind of burdensome. Sometimes. Like, have you ever tried to give away money? Really? Like, there was this pastor I was listening to the other day. He said, I give away a tithe on a regular basis, like through electronic, but he said, I always force myself to bring a little bit of cash into the church just to feel that awful feeling of giving it away. How can it not be burdensome? Have you ever tried to love a neighbor that you have nothing in common with? Have you ever tried to listen to someone coming from a different religion and be patient with them without giving all your trump cards? It's hard. How, how can this not be a burden? How can this possibly not? In Deuteronomy uh, chapter 30, verse 11, it says, Now that I am commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. And then, and then this famous verse from Jesus, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. We're like, Amen. I'll give you rest. Amen. Take my yoke upon you. Yoke? <laughs> who signed up for a yoke? 
For I'm gentle and humble heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. How is it light? How is it not a burden? All right, I'm going to give you a couple situations. I'm going to give you a couple situations. Pretend that you're busy. Just, just, you know, pretend. If you can suspend your imagination to think that you might be busy, but you have this one Sunday coming up that you know I've got nothing to do. I've got nothing to do, and I'm going to sleep in, and it's going to be so nice. Nobody's going to bother me. And then you wake up at 8 o'clock, and you're like, ah, I couldn't even sleep in. You think to yourself, but I can just get this coffee. And I'm going to have two hours with my little book or whatever I do by the fireside with my little coffee. And then you get a call from your neighbor. And they says, hey, i got to come over. I need a favor. And you're like, oh, oh, burden. Right? Does this happen to you? It's happened to me. All right, situation two. Very busy, same situation, 8 a.m., you're about to sit down with your coffee, and then your phone rings, and it's your neighbor again. You're like, ugh. And they said, hey, you had some distant cousin that I heard about, and I've got all these legal papers, and evidently, you're the owner of 20% of the Green Bay Packers. You just got to sign these papers. Can I come over? You're like, come on over. I don't need the coffee. I'm good. What's the difference? The reward. The difference is the reward. And this is what we hear. We hear about God's love for us. And we can even maybe feel some of it. We may have even experienced some of it. We may have even tasted the good life of being a child of God. But then there's this gap between experiencing God's love and then giving it away. And how do you fill that gap? How do you fill the gap? In this passage it says, faith fills the gap. Faith fills the gap because your north star starts to change. Before, it was, I want to be happy, I want to be skinny, and I want to be rich. Happy, skinny, rich, happy, skinny, rich, happy, skinny, rich. I want happy, skinny, rich. Anybody selling happy, skinny, rich, I'll buy it. I'll buy it with all of my life. I'll mortgage my house. Just give me happy, skinny, and rich. Happy, skinny, rich, happy, skinny, rich, happy, skinny, rich. That's what I want. But this new this new life of being a snot-nosed little kid that gets all, all that he will ever want deep into his soul, it reorients us into a new story. Into a new story that faith begins to reorient the way that we see God's commands, not as stumbling blocks to our parental pleasure, but as pathways to our childlike rewards. As pathway to our childlike rewards. All right, now I'm going to talk to the kids because there's some kids here. Who loves to honor your father and mother? All right, I won't, I won't make you raise your hand. Honoring your father and mother is difficult. But, but, the, but the, the command comes with a promise. In Exodus it says, the fifth commandment, Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. There's this consistent thing in the Bible. I've sort of noticed this. Uh, if you honor your father and mother... And there's something about that relationship that's sustained through honor and respect. You've lived longer. And because I am a preacher, but I also do a lot of counseling, I read sort of these random books that talk about our impact of how our parents are with us. And let me give you a few stats on how this works. There's a 35-year study based on a Harvard long-term study of the health impacts of our relationships with our parents 
<clears throat> it says 82% of participants who reported a tolerant or strained relationships with their fathers suffered significant health issues such as cancer, coronary artery disease, hypertension, and midlife. 82%. 91% of people that stated their relationship with their mother was tolerant or strained were diagnosed with a significant health issue in midlife compared to 45% of participants, less than half, who reported that their relationship with their mothers were warm and close. It impacts your health. And lastly, let me say a payoff pitch. I love using baseball analogies because I can't use them in London. If participants had a strained relationship with both her parents, the results were startling. 100% had significant health issues versus 47% of those who described their relationship with their parents as being warm and close. The obedience is the pathway to your physical reward. That faith fills the gap. That we're not just this receptacle, not this one that are, are, are holding on to the blessings of God, but in giving them away through obedience, we become more like the people that we've always longed for us to be. Or maybe in Acts 20, verse 35, it says, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Now, if you're a money-grubbing little kid like me, this is a tough one. But... There's been lots of studies that says even if you give blood two to three times a year, you're 50% more likely to describe your life as very happy. If you are habitually generous in your marriage with your spouse, you, the likelihood that you'll have harmony in your relationship goes up significantly. In 2012, there was even a health psychology study found that if you regularly volunteer, you live longer. If happy, skinny, and rich are dropped, you get to be this snotty little kid that's full of joy and listens to your father because what he has in store for you is blessings and goodness. We must, we must not confuse, friends, we must not confuse inconvenience for adults with burdens for children. We have to turn away from becoming parents <laughs> and conform more and more to being children. I remember when my, my youngest came, or my oldest, when he, was, when he was very young and he was baptized, I remember my father-in-law was the one that did the ceremony. And uh, I stood up beside him as this new, proud, young father, and I was holding him there. You know, he's squirming, much like some of the kids might be whenever they're trying to be in church. He was squirming around. And he, he looked at King and said, you know, for the rest of your life, you're going to want to be just like your dad. And I thought, oh, so nice. And he, and he looked at me and he said, and Stephen, your job for the rest of your life is to become more and more like him. Like a child. Like a baby. Like someone who is firmly in the child category of God, firmly in the child category of God. I, I, I've been having a lot of back problems recently. Um, I don't know if any of you guys did this during COVID. You thought, you know what, I'm really going to get in shape. And uh, I had that thought too. And then I got injured. Um, you know when like, you don't go to the gym at all and you try and then you, everything breaks. And so I got to the point where I couldn't stand up for very long. So I, I'll preach regularly at our church 
But I could only do it for about 10 minutes, and then I had to sit down because the pain was so bad. And I had tried everything. I don't know if you've ever gotten like, you know, consumed by a YouTube WebMD hole, but I was there. I was like, how do I fix my back? I cannot do, I cannot figure out anything. I cannot figure out anything. And I think it was, I want to say six months, close to a year of, I can't stand up for more than 10 minutes. Like I would just, all the time, just like, whenever I'd walk into a room, I'd be like, where's the chair? And then I was talking to uh, one of our elders, who is a physio, which in American English is physical therapist. And uh, he said, you know what you should try is Pilates. And I thought, oh, mercy. And so beside my son's school, there, is, there are Pilates classes. And at the time that I was available, it was a Pilates class for... I would say 60s and over, but probably 70s or over women. And so I drug my knuckles on the ground into this thing. I was like, okay, I can do this. I've done hard things in my life. You can do this. You know, you're coaching yourself before you feel embarrassed. I can do this. This isn't the hardest thing. I can do this. And I walk in. I roll out my little yoga mat. And in two months, I could give a sermon. I could stand up. Was it inconvenient? Yeah. But was it a burden? No. It helped me. It saved me. It built me. I can stand up now because of Pilates. I still go to this elderly women's class. (laughs) I would recommend it to you if you have back problems. God's commands are for children. The reason why some of us don't like them is that you're not snotty those children. Friends, this is the invitation of God, that we might be children. Children of the King. That faith is the pathway, that obedience is the pathway to these blessings. So, why is it so special to be a child of God? You are a child of the King, a parent. You are a child of the King with a, with a good parent that loves you and cares for you and gives you the obedience, gives it the pathway through obedience. And lastly, how do I overcome the world? Verse 4 says, uh, For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? That Jesus is the Son of God. And one of the things I love about this verse is that it doesn't give you six tips to be wealthy and thin. What it says is is that the inherent nature of faith is that you will overcome. Or as Romans says it, you are becoming conformed more and more to the image of Christ. This is what it means to have faith. You are a part of this victory lap of God, this parade in the kingdom. You're just the snotty-nosed kid that gets to join the parade. That it says, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. Everyone who, over, who has been born of God overcomes the world. Can that be true for you? Could that be true for you now? That you might even walk out of here and when the world says, happy, thin, Rich, happy, thin, rich, happy, thin, rich, happy, thin, rich. And you're just like, 
I'm good, you win. You win. Because the core faith story of our lives is better than happy, thin, and rich. It is better. It is more worthy of your affections. Like a shepherd, like someone kind coming to you, like a parent, like a good father coming to you and saying, you will overcome the world that faith in and of itself is victory. It's victory. Sometimes, sometimes people will ask me like, wow, you're a missionary? How did God call you to that? Like, did you have some sort of Aaron Rodgers dark experience? I learned that this weekend, by the way. There's a little plug. And I'll say, no. Like, what happened? What happened to you that made you just want to follow Jesus in a different place? And I'll say, I'll tell you what happened. I was, I was pretty happy. Uh, we were living in Spain, or why, why, why did I move to London? And then my, my, my youngest, or my oldest son, King, has a cousin in London. And he said, Daddy, I want to move to London to be with Lukey. And I said, well, great. I have no interest in moving to London. It's too expensive, it's terrible weather, and British people are mean. I'm not moving there. And he, and he said, I'm going to pray, Daddy, that we move there. And I said, well, you can go ahead and pray. So six months... Six months, every night I heard, God, please change daddy's heart. Please change daddy's heart so I can live with Lukey. God, please change daddy's heart so I can live with Lukey. And sure enough, six months in, I'd given off my job when I was living in Spain. And a job came up for London. And my wife said, it sounds like lightning has struck. And I was like, okay, my wife wants to go. My son definitely wants to go. Seems like everybody wants me to go, but you know what? Whatever. That was my call to London. But you know what? You can do that when you're a snotty kid. You don't have to be in charge anymore. If God is your parent, <laughs> if he is the one in charge, if goodness and mercy are you going to follow you for the rest of your lives, then you can sit back you can sit back and enjoy that the favor of God will follow you all of your life. I remember when I, when I had <clears throat> little kids, we would play, I think it was called sardines. I can't, I can't remember the name of it. You know the hide-and-seek game where you find somebody and then they kind of join the band and then you go to the next one? And with little, really little kids, they get scared when they're hiding. <laughs> and so they're starting to kind of peek out sometimes. And so I remember just doing all the stomping, and, and, and you could sort of start to hear them giggle, you know? And just, I'm, they're stomping around, and then I come, and I find them, and there's this kind of squeal of delight. You found me! And I would throw one on my shoulders, and then we'd just start walking. I said, you want to find another one? And they'd say, yeah! And then we'd just start walking around, looking for another one, and, they, and then the word gets out. And they're just starting to peek out, and they say, you found me! And then I throw another one on my shoulder, and I throw another one on my back, and we're just sort of this band, little by little, going around. They're like, let's find everybody. And so sure enough, we found everyone. Everyone screams, and they're so excited. This is the kingdom of God. And he comes, and he finds you, and he loves you, and he makes you, your, makes you his daughter. He makes you his son. And he throws you on their back and say, you want to find another one? And you say, yeah. 
because we have a good father who wants to make you his child, that you might have all the wealth of his benefits that don't just come in and out of season but will last forever. And then he gives you this cheat code of life that doesn't trick you into, into buying more things or indulging in things that will hurt you, but he gives you this cheat code that will lead you to blessing. And it will be a victory because all of the temptations of this world pale into comparison with the offer that he's giving us today, friends. Don't you want to be a snot-nosed little kid? It's a good life. Let's pray. God, give us, give us help because we need it. Give us help with the temptations of rich, skinny, and happy. Help us to manage it. Help us to see you as more beautiful, as more worthy, as better. Pray in the name of Christ. Amen.